listening to a message from Park Springs Bible Church, located in Arlington, Texas, where we discover life in the power of God's grace and share His life-changing grace with others. Join us as we hear from the Word. Amen and amen. Well, it is good to be with you this morning and to see all of y'all and just to, to, to share in, in those moments together where we just uh, proclaim Jesus, I know it was good for my soul, and I hope that it was good for yours as well. Uh, my name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's just my privilege this morning to be able to share the Word of God with you. Uh, if you have been around our church for a while, uh, you would know that for many decades, kind of our, our rhythm as a church is that on the second Sunday of September was when, uh, post the service, we would have our annual meeting. So just the way that we are organized, if you are a member of our church, we do things like uh, voting on an annual budget and uh, going through a confirmation process for some of our leadership positions. And so an annual meeting uh, was always a, a big Sunday in the life of our church. We finally like switched it last year uh, to line up our, our fiscal year with the calendar year. Uh, but annual meeting has uh, significance for me uh, because because on the second Sunday of September in 2012 uh, was my first Sunday on staff here at Park Springs. Uh, and so today, yeah, um, it feels uh, significant to me that uh, 10 years ago, uh, this church graciously um, brought me on uh, to serve the Lord here. And it's been um, at this point in my uh, 33 years, one of the most significant blessings of my life. Uh, so this past week, as I, I was reflecting on that, I went uh, digging uh, through, um, uh, we have a church server that all the files, all the data, all the things go into, and uh, I was able to come up with, thanks to Helen, because she keeps all the information, uh, I found the slide uh, that the church used uh, when they announced me, which I remember when I was being hired and brought on, they said, like, it was like the Sunday before, they're like, hey, can you uh, send us a picture so that, you know, they can announce to the church, like, hey, we've hired a youth pastor. And um, it was interesting to me, the picture I found, but I, I found the slide. Um, <laughs> so there's a part of me that thinks like, what were y'all thinking hiring children um, to, <laughs> to come serve and to bestow the title of pastor upon? Um, yeah, so I was kind of just, uh, just reflecting on, on that the, this past week. And, um, you know, just kind of thinking back at that time, that um, it was Pastor Mark Benedum, who was here before Charlie, who um, hired me. And uh, just kind of, I remember in some of those conversations we had when they brought me on as the youth pastor, and just kind of thinking back, so I was, I was 23 years old. I had just finished uh, my, my bachelor's at uh, UTA. Uh, so I, I didn't have any seminary experience. Uh, I didn't have any full-time work experience. I was, I was one year into my marriage uh, when they brought me on. Um, but you know, one of the things I think that, I did have going for me was that I was, I was really excited about Jesus. Um, and I was just thinking about that th this past week um, because uh, sometimes that, uh, if I'm honest, that, that ebbs and flows in, in my life. Um, that definitely in, in that season coming out of college, I, I was really excited about Jesus. And I, I, I like to think that that was evident in my life and one of the reasons I was brought on, on staff here. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'm so uh, grateful to the church that they've given me some time off this summer to kind of reflect on that. And that, that was kind of important for me to think about. And, and it's occupied a, a bit of my, my mind these, these past couple of months that I've had off some time away from my job. 
Um, and because I think about the, these past 10 years and the ups and downs that life throws at you just regularly and also in ministry and in the life of our church and so many of y'all who've, uh, we've all been on the same journey together. And, and so, you know, sometimes uh, that can kind of come and go. Um, sometimes just distractions occur in my life that uh, take my eyes off of Jesus. Um, sometimes disappointments happen and things don't go the way you think they should go if it was up to you. Um, sometimes we, we make mistakes, and I, I know I've made uh, more than my fair share in the time I've been able to serve uh, this church. And so, yeah, it's just occupied a bit of, bit of my mind. Um, and one of the things I've just kind of been ref- reflecting on, really, with some time away from doing my job here at the church, is uh, just to be, to be reminded of what it's like to have a, a simple faith in Jesus Christ uh, and to be excited uh, about Jesus about what he has done and also what he is doing. And it can be just kind of easy to drift from that over time. And if you have been following Jesus for an amount of time in your life, you've probably felt that before, that there are the seasons where everything is amazing. We can get rid of the picture now, Sarah. It's distracting you. <laughs> <laughs> Young Jared has a lot to learn up there. Um, Emily already had it together. It was me that was the project. Um, yeah, it can just be easy to, to drift from that idea as we follow Jesus, but then life intrudes into that notion uh, so often. And so I think for me, and and probably for yourselves as well, I think that's why um, the imagery of the Christian uh, life being that of a race or a walk really just resonates deeply with me. It is a a long endeavor to follow Jesus, and it is uh, fraught with difficulties, with ups and downs, where we have to continually be redirected uh, to the object of our faith, and that is Jesus himself. And so uh, that's what I want to do this morning. You know, we are taking uh, this time, and if you were with us last week, to um, really just uh, look at some stories of people who encountered Jesus, and then were changed. And I hope that's a story you have for yourself in your own life of a time when you encountered Jesus and life wasn't the same. But maybe even if that hasn't transpired yet in your life, that this morning might occur. Because we, um, one of the things we're doing is is looking at these stories, and then really just a work God has done in our church is that out of these scriptures, uh, some songs have been born to uh, lead us together to worship Jesus and hope. Hopefully see him more clearly and engage our hearts and minds. And so that's what we did last week um, with uh, this story and, and the song that accompanied it about who is this man? Who is Jesus? Uh, quick question. How many of y'all have been worshiping, worshiping to that in your cars this week? If not, you're missing out. Um, so just, uh, you know, the product of technology is amazing that this whole week I've been able to sing along with our worship team as I drive uh, uh, back and forth to work and just been encouraged remembering uh, who Jesus is. And so I'm, I'm excited for that this week. And so uh, that's my goal. It's uh, pretty simple. Uh, we're gonna look at the word of God, the Bible. We're gonna look at a story of somebody encountering Jesus. And, and my hope for myself, my prayer for you is that you would leave today excited about Jesus. And so I'm just going to invite you to pray with me. I'm going to ask God to bless our time, and then we're going to dig into the Word of God together. So would you pray with me? Uh, Father in heaven, uh, I stand here just very grateful for your Son, Jesus Christ. God, for the, the willingness you showed to take on our broken humanity 
so that we could come to you and experience new life and life to the fullest. God, it is my prayer that we would be changed, that we would see you more clearly, love you a little more, and be impacted by the reality that you are not distant, that Jesus is not a figure in history, but is alive, is knowable, and is active. Let him be glorified. And it's in his name I ask these things. Amen. If you have a copy of God's word, I'm just going to invite you to uh, turn to Mark chapter 10. Um, and we're going to look at this story. It's, it's not too many verses, but it's an exciting story to me as I've gotten to uh, just uh, dig into it this week and think about its implications and just uh, what God might have for us out of this story. So it is another encounter with Jesus where somebody is left forever changed. And let that be our desire this morning as we open the word of God to be forever changed. So we're going to pick up right near the end of the chapter, starting in verse 46 is the encounter we're going to read in Mark chapter 10. This is what it says. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on his way. And so we have this story of an encounter with Jesus. And honestly, the structure of this story is pretty simple. And it begins with somebody who has a need. Uh, show of hands, how many of us have needs? I can't tell if anybody didn't raise their hand, but hopefully we're feeling a bit honest this morning. And so already I hope for us that we can see a relatability in the word of God that, hey, maybe we don't have as an extreme a physical need as this gentleman right here, but all of us have needs. So very simple structure to the story. There is a person with needs who has heard about Jesus. And it just so happens that it's his lucky day that Jesus is in the area. And so you can tell that he has heard about Jesus because he begins to hear word. It says that he hears that Jesus, not just any Jesus, I don't know how common the name was, but Jesus of Nazareth was coming his way. And so already, you know, we're a little bit farther into the gospel of Mark. Like Jesus has uh, had a reputation up to this point. They know he is teaching. They know he is healing, that there are signs, things are happening in Israel that have not happened in a really long time. And so he begins to get excited. So he has needs and he knows that Jesus is on his way. So something significant with Bartimaeus here is that um, uh, due to what he has heard about Jesus, it would appear from the text that he has already made a theological leap as to who he believes Jesus to be. 
And so we read a lot of these different encounters where Jesus is encountering people. And, uh, you know, a lot of times it's including the religious people at the time. And so they recognize an aspect of who Jesus is. So uh, most typically when people are coming to Jesus to ask him questions or to um, engage with him in the first time, usually this term rabbi is used with him. He was a religious teacher. He had already been up in the synagogues within the Jewish culture, you know, um, explain things from the scriptures. But something's different right here with Bartimaeus, which another interesting aspect of this story, and I can't really tell you why, is that a lot of times when Jesus is healing people, we don't get their names. You know, we get the blind man, we get the leper, we get the different people. Uh, but in this situation, we have Bartimaeus. And I don't know if it's specifically because um, Bartimaeus recognizes who Jesus is, that maybe the Bible recognizes who Bartimaeus is. But he makes this leap. And if you see it right there, when he cries out to Jesus, he uses a term. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David is a messianic title. It's aligning Jesus with the notion of the promises that God made to Israel that through the line of David, he was going to save his people and establish his kingdom. And so already there is something that has gone on in Bartimaeus' heart where he has heard the word of what Jesus has taught and what he has done, and he has associated it, attached it, made a conclusion in his mind that that means Jesus is the promised savior of Israel. And so already he is taking a leap of faith in calling out to uh, claiming and naming Jesus that he is the son of David, which could be um, um, could um, bring some reactions upon him. Because you know, at different times when Jesus is encountering the religious people and he's beginning to uh, declare who he is, some of their reaction is to threaten to kill him when he is aligning himself up with the promises of God. But this blind man who's got nothing left other than his needs, when he knows he's close enough to be to Jesus, he's going to call out and use this term of a savior of the people of Israel. He says, son of David, have mercy on me. And so I think that uh, speaks a lot to Bartimaeus, uh, probably both his desperation, but also what has already occurred in his heart towards Jesus. It's kind of like what we talked about last week. It's kind of a who is this man moment. The Bartimaeus has this opportunity to be in proximity to Jesus. And he's asked himself the question, who is this man? And his conclusion is that he is the promised savior that God spoke to the generations before, the son of David, who's gonna restore the kingdom of God. And so he takes that leap and calls out to him, son of David, have mercy on me. And then something interesting occurs. Verse 48, he's called out to Jesus and says, many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out, all the more. It is interesting, I, I have found um, as I, I have followed Jesus and also as I uh, walk with people, talk with people, share experiences about following Jesus, specifically within the context of church, a lot of times we recognize the needs we have, but it is accompanied with a hesitancy to actually bring those to God. We are silenced often from crying out, to God. I had the opportunity this summer to, to read a book, a couple of books, but there was one that really stuck out to me. And it was a book called Live No Lies. It's by a pastor uh, named John Mark Comer. And it was a really excellent book. Uh, it really uh, spoke a lot to me. Uh, but the premise of this book was uh, how do we fight against the three enemies that wage war against our soul? So he broke it down into three categories that we fight against the devil, the flesh, and the world. 
Those are all biblical concepts that um, one is that we have a spiritual enemy that hates us. That's what the Bible describes, that there is a spiritual realm around us that has an impact on our lives. And one of the key figures in that reality is the devil or Satan, however you want to term it. It is um, the bad guy in the Bible, not on par with Jesus Christ or uh, the Lord uh, God of all, but he is a figure within the Bible, and the Bible describes him in certain ways. And in Revelation chapter 12, it describes him, it uses two terms, one as a deceiver and another as an accuser. And so how um, the pastor John Mark Comer laid out this book is that the biblical reality is um, Satan or the devil really cannot force you to do anything. But what he can do is lie to you and deceive you and help um, um, uh, orchestrate situations around you so that you inevitably make the wrong choice. And so that happens in our lives all the time. And I bet we're not aware of it the majority of the time, but we are deceived. We buy into lies. And then how that kind of plays itself out in our life is the Bible also describes that we have a sin nature, that we were brought into this reality Sinful, that there is a predisposition in my heart to rebel against God. And so I have to contend against that as well. So I have an external enemy that's lying to me, accusing me, trying to deceive me. And that will play into the fact that I have this bent towards rebelling against God. And then the third enemy of our soul is the world around us that oftentimes is um, in opposition to the things of God. And so if I have someone lying to me, I have a natural predisposition towards it. And then my environment's gonna reinforce those lies to begin with. There's a lot that's going to attack me. And so I think about this reality right here where this uh, man has a need, he has proximity to Jesus, and we would all recognize that he does the right thing. He cries out to Jesus. And then people try to silence him. And I wonder how often in our lives, maybe this very week, we had a need that we should have brought to Jesus, but there was something in our life that tried to silence us. Maybe it was an accusation. You've already prayed for this thing a hundred times. Why do you think God still wants to hear from you? I remember what you did last year. Why do you think God would want to hear from you after what you've done? Maybe we are hearing accusations and lies being spouted to us all day long. Maybe it feels like it comes from ourselves. I am not worthy. I have done too much. God does not want to hear from me, whatever it might be. Maybe you literally have people in your life that are serving that purpose of accusing or deceiving you and inhibiting your ability to call out to Jesus. Maybe it's just a a sense of letting others down that if they only knew what I needed to call out to Jesus for, they wouldn't want to be around me. We often find ourselves with a need and we have proximity to Christ but we are silenced from crying out to him. That's why I'm so impressed with Bartimaeus as I've uh, dug into the scriptures this week already. He knows who Jesus is or has some level of understanding that he is the fulfillment of God's promises. And so he cries out to Jesus for his need and people tell him to be quiet. And then I love the phrase that come after that, that it just says, he cried out all the more. And so my encouragement to us this morning is to cry out all the more to Jesus. 
that if there is anything going on in your life right now, no matter how big or no matter how small, the invitation from the God of the universe is to cry out to him. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, let me encourage you, cry out to Jesus. You know why? Because Jesus saves. That the God of the Bible has reached down into moments in time to bring his people to himself, and Jesus saves. I love in Zephaniah 3.17, it says, a mighty God is within our midst, a mighty warrior who saves. If you know the most popular verse in all of scripture is John 3.16, and it is followed by John 3.17 that says, Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through the world we might be saved. And so my encouragement to you as someone who has received the mercy of Jesus and needs it every single day of his life is that if you have anything going on in your life, cry out all the more to God because Jesus saves. And that's something I've needed to remind myself of because I am in need of saving every single day and I get distracted from that reality and I begin to hoard things away from God and just to rely on myself to manage the situations in my life. And so I need that reminder that Jesus saves that regardless of the situation, to cry out all the more, especially when I would hear a voice that might be my own, but might be someone else's telling me you shouldn't. That has to trigger something in our hearts and souls. If we ever feel this instinct, this pull, this push away from crying out to Jesus, that's the exact moment we have to cry out to Jesus. Jesus saves Another thing I'm struck with in this uh, passage, and it's all over the Gospels, is just the accessibility of Jesus. You know, and I think it's uh, stuck out to the disciples. So if, if you read the gospel narratives, so many of the, um, of the miracles we remember, these encounters we talk about, the way they were recorded, um, it's almost always not Jesus's game plan that day. And so, so many of the stories we remember and look to, it's always Jesus is traveling and is interrupted. So you think about, you know, some of the well-known miracles, like the woman with the bleeding disorder, that she's in a crowd, Jesus is going somewhere, and he, she just touches his robe, and then he stops and has this moment with her. Always, Jesus is like actively engaged in an activity when somebody interrupts him. And in all of those situations, Jesus always stops. The accessibility of Jesus is profound to me. And so he does that once again. It says he's traveling along the way and this guy by the side of the road just calls out to him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on him. People are trying to tell him to be quiet, but he calls out all the more. So Jesus stops and he says, call him. I think one of the voices we hear is that, you know, God's too busy. My problem is too small. I don't want to worry the God of the universe. But what Jesus is offering us is an open invitation to come. He says, call him. He says, call him. Let him come to me. It just struck me, and I think it stuck out to the other people how often Jesus was willing to be interrupted to encounter someone and to change their life. So I love what he says. It's very simple how Jesus engages with this man. He says, call him. In verse 51, Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? It's pretty Significant question. And it's one Jesus uses a lot because it reveals a lot about the person asking, what they are actually, how they are actually viewing their life and how they are viewing Jesus. And what I find interesting is that this is actually the second time in this chapter that Jesus has made that 
request available. If you look back at verse 36, he has this interaction with two of his disciples, two of the people following Jesus, James and John. They come up to him and say, we want to ask something from you. In verse 36, Jesus says the exact same thing. He says, what do you want me to do for you? But they have a very different request of Jesus. And so if you uh, have the chance to read through that whole passage, and maybe it's familiar to you, uh, it's when um, uh, Jesus has this interaction with two of his disciples, and he says, hey, what do you want me to do for you? And their request is, hey, in your kingdom, can we sit at your right hand? Um, Which is kind of a different request. It's like, hey, Jesus, you know, we've been hanging out with you for a while. We've been doing the disciple thing. We've been in all the major times. Like, hey, when everything gets for real, can we have a position of prominence? And Jesus denies their request because he also says it's up to God, it's not to him. And it becomes this whole tension within the disciples or some are upset because of this request that they made for Jesus. And he has to explain to them like, hey, that's the way of the world where people seek positions of prominence to lord it over their neighbors. He's like, that is not the case in my kingdom. That's not what I'm about. And so Jesus denies their request, even though they were closer to Jesus, had been following him longer and probably lived a better life up to this point than Bartimaeus. And when they have the opportunity, Jesus asks them the exact same question, what do you want me to do for you? They get a different response. But what happens with Bartimaeus? says, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Um, this is one of the things I start to just get really excited about Jesus because there is um, this very human instinct that it, it, on my best days, when I am just being objective about like, okay, how do I think the God of the universe should work? Like, this makes sense to me. Like, okay, he's coming in humility. He is promoting meekness. He is saying the first shall be last and the last shall be first. On my best days, I can agree with all that. Uh, My best days are few and far between. So how I act out of just a gut level human response is I want to get to a point where my life gets easier. And so when I am just thinking about the things I ask God for, they're usually to bring more comfort into my life, uh, maybe more prominence, more of these things. And that's just not how Jesus operates. That's not how the kingdom of God operates. He is not a genie to grant our petitions to power, but he is the lover and savior of our souls. So it kind of made me think about, I don't know if you remember back to high school, it's getting farther and farther away, but I feel like there was always um, those moments where maybe somebody was a bully or maybe just considered the popular kid. And I feel like every time I encountered one of those people, they usually had a crew or a posse that hung out with them. And so usually there's kind of the main figure and everybody else is kind of gravitating around them. And inevitably, if you kind of got to observe these people long enough, you could tell usually at least half of the posse doesn't actually like that person. They just want to be close enough to them where they can receive some of the benefit. And we're at risk all the time with treating Jesus that way. But what Jesus is saying to us today and in this moment here is that the kingdom of God is going to be upside down in regards to human notion. And that's the only way this would work out for our good is if God was not in the business of putting us into positions of power, but if he was in the business of changing us from the inside out so that we could actually experience uh, the soul satisfying goodness of being with him in relationship. And so that makes me excited about Jesus that he asked this question and I think he asked it to us. What do you want me to do for you? 
And if you had the opportunity to sit down face to face with Jesus and he asked you that question, what would be your response? And what would that response reveal about the state of your heart? And so I love Bartimaeus's response because once again, he has a need. He brings it to Jesus. It is a legitimate need. It says, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. You know, I do not um, struggle with a physical impairment like blindness, but I feel like this is a request I have all the time with Jesus in my prayer life. I just want to see. You know, I feel like as I, as I go through life and um, I, I struggle with what it means to follow Jesus Christ wholeheartedly, I feel like I hit these moments all the time and I pray to God, like, just, just let me see. Just let me see the value and dignity of this person that I really don't like. Just let me see that what you offer to me is so much more satisfying than the than this temptation of the sin that I'm drawn to. Just let me see your purposes in this world that I don't completely understand that seems completely out of control. I feel like all the time I am asking the same thing of God. I just want to see. I just want to see what you're doing I just want to see through these distractions. I just want to see through the mess around me and see to you. And so I think it is something that we could latch onto this morning. It is such a simple story, a simple interaction, but with profound implications on how we might approach life if we realize that um, the number one thing we are contending against is a faulty perception of who God is and what Jesus is doing. I think that's why the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, he actually uh, prays this beautiful prayer over the church. And he says this, he's like, my prayer is that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. Paul wants followers of Jesus to see and understand the love that God has for them. I think it's why the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12 that we should throw off all the sin and all the weight that so easily entangles. And then what does he say? He says, fix your eyes on Jesus. And so although we might not be actually struggling with being blind this morning, I'm sure to some degree or another, all of us are struggling with a spiritual blindness and we need to see Jesus for who he is. And so let that be our request this morning as well, that we have the invitation to bring to God what is going on in our lives. And when Jesus asks of you, what do you want me to do for you? May our response be, God, I just want to see. I just want to see you. You know, I think about what David wrote in Psalm 25. He said, I just want to gaze on the beauty of the Lord for forever. And I get pulled away from that all the time, and I'll probably be pulled away from that idea this afternoon. But when the clarity comes, that's my request of Jesus. I just want to see. I just want to see you because I know that if I could see him completely for who he truly is, I would be changed. And I want to be changed. I want to be transformed, as the Bible says, from one degree of glory to the next so that I can uh, follow him more closely and love him just a little more dearly as I pursue Jesus to the end of my days. And what does Jesus do? He says, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on his way. I love that uh, Jesus grants his petition. And so one of the things I see, once again, I just got to commend Bartimaeus that um, I, I 
genuinely think his request of Jesus proceeded from an internal faith. And so we saw that, that he already made the leap and uh, claimed Jesus as the son of David, this messianic title. He was calling out like, hey, I know you are the fulfillment of the promises of God to our ancestors. And not only that, he, he used the term have mercy on me. And what was his need? He had this physical impalement, impairment, not impalement, that would be worse, a physical impairment. And so the reality is that he believed his ability to see or not see that Jesus had authority over it. And so if Jesus can have mercy in such a way that it actually changes his situation from being completely blind to having vision, that is a, a statement of faith right there. And I, I realize how small my faith is so often in the things that I pray for God. You know, I ask for a little tweak here, a little tweak there. Maybe today would go a little bit better than yesterday. Maybe I just wouldn't be a little bit as frustrated. But you can see as he just steps out in faith, you know, uh, because what is his normal operation is probably standing there and asking for a little bit of money. And a little bit of money would help, but it would not change his circumstances for the rest of his life. And so I believe this request proceeded from faith in the way that he recognized who Jesus was and then what he asked of him to have mercy on him that he truly believed Jesus had the ability to change his life, to change his eyesight, to bring him into a new reality from that day forward, and Jesus did. So once again, going back to what I said earlier, we have to remember Jesus saves. And there is not a situation in your life right now that is outside of his control. And so what are we bringing to Jesus? What is going on in our lives? So I've been reminded um, over these past couple months that for myself, you know, I want to grow in my knowledge, my understanding, my maturity of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But at the same time, I want to keep a simple faith. And that's commended within the scriptures. You know, a, a childlike faith, not being childish in our understanding, but having a childlike faith and so once again, this is a simple story, but I think it is profound for all of us. And I want to commend that to you today, that whatever is going on in our lives, that we can keep a simple faith. So I would encourage you, whatever is going on, number one, to call to Jesus. And if you feel that pull that maybe this time you shouldn't, that's exactly the time when you should. And so if there is any voice trying to silence you from calling out to Jesus, call out all the more. So we call to him then we ask of him. You know, we just got through studying the book of James. I got to listen to a lot of those sermons uh, just on the podcast. And that's a reality with James. It says, you have not because you ask not. And so we need to think about our motivation. What are we actually asking Jesus for? And not maybe like the disciples to just get a position of power and prominence to use it over other people. But Jesus tells us to ask of him. And so what is the actual root of the needs you have, the worries you have, the anxieties you have? Call to him, ask of him. And then I love uh, that Bartimaeus, when he recovered his sight, followed Jesus. And I just got to know that included an aspect of praise. And so not always our situations are going to change but in every situation, we have the ability to praise God who has given us mercies every single day that we take for granted and we just don't always recognize. And so I wanna keep a simple faith in front of me. I want to call to Jesus. I want to ask of him and I want to praise him because he's still there. He is accessible. 
He is no longer walking as a human on this earth, but what the scripture tells us and what I am completely convinced of is that he's at the right hand of the Father in heaven and he is interceding on our behalf and he is moving and working in the world around us in that invitation he offered uh, way back in the first century to the people that were there at the time uh, stands true for us today when he says to come to me, when he says, what would you have me do of you? When he says, you know, take my life upon you so that you could learn what it actually means to walk in relationship and experience the life you were designed to have. If you are lacking in purpose, if you are lacking in love, if you are lacking in family, if you are lacking in fulfillment, what the psalmist says at the right hand of the father are pleasures forevermore. And that's the invitation of Jesus to be with him. He is not dead and far off. He is available. He is accessible. And let me just tell you, because I've experienced it in my own life and I'm still pressing on towards it, it's what you've been searching for your entire life. And there's still parts of me that try to search in other areas. And every single time I've done that, it's always been a huge disappointment. And so I still get pulled away and I still get, still get distracted and, and drawn from things that are not of Jesus. But the times I have pressed into Jesus, it has never disappointed me. I think about the disciples. Um, you know, if, if you can recall some of those stories when Jesus first began his ministry and began calling the disciples, um, so often it was accompanied with like them telling people about this encounter because as he was calling them, maybe not to the fullest extent of what was going to transpire, but they also knew that he was the Messiah. And so you think about when like definitely some of the brothers, it's like one of them met Jesus and they go and tell him like, hey, I've met the Messiah. Imagine just the excitement of those moments where it's like your parents, your grandparents, your great grandparents, every relative you ever have had has been waiting for this moment in time, clinging onto some promises that um, this world is going to get fixed and God's going to fulfill what he promised. And in that moment, you encounter the very thing that every single person you've ever known has been waiting for. That's the reality we live in today. Even your coworkers who don't know it and your relatives who don't claim Jesus as Lord, everybody is searching for something to satisfy their hearts. And if you are here this morning and you are claiming that Jesus is Lord of your life, the recognition is that you have found the thing that every single person in human history desires. And so what's going to be our reaction to those moments? May it be that we praise God for what he has done. May it be that we tell every single person we know that we have been changed. May it be that we cry out to Jesus all the more the next time we get distracted or the next time we get burdened down with the situations of life. We have found the thing that every person wants. A soul-satisfying love in the creator who made us, who has offered us relationship with himself and an eternity secured with him to live out this existence that we were designed to from the beginning. Praise God and praise God that Jesus saves. Would you pray with me?